Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. And if this is your first time here, welcome. My name is Sabrina. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations, both about astrology and some of the topics that I feel like astrology has been a gateway into me exploring deeper, like personal development and how to live a spiritual life. In today's episode, I had Becca Tarnas back on the show to discuss the planetary combinations of Mercury after we last discussed the planetary combinations of Venus. And this episode will be part one of our conversation and we'll make it out to Saturn. So check back next week for part two, where we'll discuss Mercury's combinations with Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. So if you don't already know off the top of your head what Mercury is doing in your natal chart, what planets you have an aspect to Mercury, go ahead and look up your chart on astro.com. They have a particular one called Astro Click Portrait, which I find very helpful for beginners. Um, and many of you who are listening to this podcast know what Mercury is doing in your chart, right? But if you don't, go to astro.com, go to Astro Click Portrait. And you'll be able to pull up your chart and be able to click on different parts of the chart and it will tell you what those parts of your chart are. So when you find Mercury, it will tell you what planets Mercury is aspecting in your chart and that will give you the information to bring into your listening of this episode. So if you know that you have a Mercury-Saturn aspect, you can compare what we say about Mercury-Saturn to your own experience. A little about Becca before we start. Becca is a scholar, artist, and counseling astrologer, and an editor of Archi, the Journal of Archetypal Cosmology. She received her PhD in philosophy and religion at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco, and her dissertation is titled The Back of Beyond, the Red Books of C.G. Jung and J.R.R. Tolkien. Speaking with Becca and getting to otherwise interact with her work is a real pleasure, one reason of which is that she combines such deep intellect and scholarship with the numinous and the mythic, which I feel becomes a doorway to making new connections about the magic of the world around us. Archetypes, after all, are everywhere. We explored Mercury as it expresses in people's communication styles, but also some of the esoteric qualities of Mercury like spellcasting, etymology, and so-called dead languages. Speaking of language, one of my favorite astrology quotes comes from Dane Rujar, a legend in the field whose work I feel deeply influenced by. He says, astrology is a language. If you understand this language, the sky speaks to you. When we study the language of astrology, we are literally creating a communicative bridge between us and the cosmos. Through meditating on astrological symbols, as I like to demonstrate in the weekly forecast that you can read at monarchastrology.com, we gain insights about ourselves and past, current, and future events. Coming up in January 2020, 
I'm teaching an online deep dive four-month intensive to share the language of evolutionary astrology with you, a school of astrology that allows us to gain a narrative of our soul's history and what we're learning and exploring in this lifetime. The unconscious imprinting that we carry from prior lives, as well as our early life experiences, has unconscious influence until it's conscious. So unpacking what we brought into this life, and no, we didn't come here as blank slates, can be deeply restorative, reminding us what talents and gifts that we've brought, and also help us to release old patterns and imprints that are no longer adaptive to our current moment. Before I got into this vein of astrology, I was always really interested in the why questions, why things are the way they are, why I am the way I am. And I found evolutionary astrology as a language and a lens and tool to be instrumental in helping us take greater responsibility for our shadow and our power, to help us reclaim our projections, and help us imaginatively live out our particular brand of genius, to self-actualize according to our archetypal makeup. If you want to study astrology in a setting that makes room for the depth of the soul and the art of soul making in tandem with studying this wondrous language, then this course is for you. Go to monarchastrology.com and click the tab in the menu titled study to learn more. The link to the course will also be in the show notes. Now here's part one of my conversation with Becca Tarnas on the planetary combinations of Mercury. I hope you enjoy. I'm here with Becca Tarnas, and we're in the Bay Area. It's so good to see you in person. And what's really cool is that last time we recorded, we recorded about the Venus planetary combinations. And we talked about Venus, Saturn, Pluto at the very end. And that is the moment that we're in right now as Venus, Saturn, and Pluto are all triple conjunct. They definitely are. It's been a potent week with this stellium of venus and saturn and pluto venus pluto is exact right now and having that peak at the full moon in gemini as well and in some ways that feels fitting for what we've been discussing wanting to turn toward for this particular episode right mercury um which rules gemini so when speaking of mercury as an archetype by the way i just i've heard you describe archetype both in when we had a discussion about it and um, when I've heard you speak about it and the way you define it is so lovely. So would you tell us like what archetype is as just kind of a overview? Definitely. So an archetype is essentially a principle. The word archetype comes from the root archai, which means first or first principle. And It's the universal that stands behind particular manifestations. So the concept of archetypes in some ways stems all the way back to Plato and the idea of forms or ideas, as he called them. And they are a universal that all the particulars participate in or that stand behind it. So an example that I like is the one of home. We all have a 
particular home, we all have an internal sense of what home means. But then there's also this feeling of an archetypal home that informs all of that, even though we have our individual particular inflections of what home looks like and what we associate that with, it's also this larger principle that that really kind of stands behind those individual expressions of home. Um, or another example would be of um, of beauty. That's another one that I really like because you see such diverse expressions of beauty, whether in different people or in landscapes or in art, but we all have the sense that it's beautiful. And each of those particular expressions are participating in the archetype of beauty. The word archetype has gone through a long journey and evolution since Plato. For Plato, they lived in a realm of ideal forms, whereas for others, they might live in the mind of God or only be abstract principles that we discern from the particulars. Or for someone like the depth psychologist Carl Jung, they're psychological. They We discover them within the psyche, and those are universals informing the particulars of our everyday psychological reality. So when I use the word archetype in terms of astrology, I'm kind of referring to that whole spectrum from Plato to Jung of a universal in which a particular participates. And there's probably more to say around that too, but um, that's a kind of basic definition, I guess. Basic, perhaps, but also such an expanded, you know, if someone asked me what archetype is, I'd have to really think about it to come up with an answer as beautiful as that. Hmm. Um, So thank you for that. Of course. It's something I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to describe. Right, because it's such an abstract idea. It's so abstract, and yet there's something so deeply intimate about an archetype as well because they're living through us all the time and so it's both abstract and yet so familiar you can't quite see it until you do and then when you do you can't not see it (laughs) right that's the beautiful thing about practicing astrology is that you start to see the archetypes everywhere and they're infusing things. I mean, they're already there, but once you can see them, it's almost like reality becomes more vivid. Mm -hmm. And you can see the multiple ways that they express themselves in particularity. And that's really maybe the key piece with what an archetype is, is it's almost like they're dipolar in some ways. There's the pole that is the unified core eternal understanding of the wholeness of the archetype that's in potential. And then there are the infinite ways it can come through in concrete manifestation. So in astrology, the way we can see that is there is the potential archetype of Mercury or Uranus or Neptune or whatever it is, But then there are all the concrete manifestations of it that we see in everyday life and someone's birth chart and the news and and so on. 
And we learn to recognize the familiarity of the universal within the maybe completely unique particular that happens to emerge in a given moment. So figuring out that this concrete manifestation also is a reflection of that universal, even if that concrete manifestation has never before existed in that particular way. So there's a profound mystery there and that connection between the eternal and the temporal. Right. It feels like when navigating this kind of consciousness as well, that there's choices that can be made. If like one is looking at their birth chart and they know that they have this like Mercury Uranus energy and they can imagine all these different ways of playing that out, they might be able to choose a more elevated option or one that they feel a deeper resonance with versus maybe one of the other options that would feel more problematic or difficult. Right. And it's um, that piece of choice, but within these archetypal constraints, you're never going to overthrow that Mercury Uranus or other aspect in your chart, but that's not the point. It's how do you live creatively within that? And I sometimes think about it now as less directly choosing. I'm going to choose this life enhancing way of doing this. It's more like the practice or the intention of moving toward that. And we get better and better at it, hopefully. But it's no less in alignment with our chart if we happen to go the way of old habit or seemingly less elevated expression because maybe there's something to learn there too something i've been saying um more and more recently lately it's probably connected to the saturn pluto in some ways that even when we fall on our faces or are in an experience of shame that too is an archetypal experience and therefore also sacred because we're in a prayerful moment with the gods or with the astrological archetypes simply by living that. And in that way, it doesn't label something like failure as being out of alignment. It's, it's almost like reclaiming the importance of those moments too. That is such a soothing idea. Mm -hmm. I really like that. So what is Mercury's archetypal character? Mm. (laughs) I want to hear your answer to this too. Okay. Um, The first time I felt like I saw Mercury in terms of the archetype itself, I had this image of, of a quill racing around the sun. So the image I got was instead of the planet Mercury going on its pretty fast orbit around the sun, I saw this kind of cosmic quill writing its way very, very quickly around the sun. And something about that image just sparked a lot of symbolism. The quill made of a feather, Hermes, the Greek uh, equivalent of Mercury, the god who is the messenger of the gods who can traverse between the underworld and the middle world and the heavenly world has uh, a winged hat and winged sandals so that he can fly. And so that again, that image of the quill just felt like 
calling on that hermetic, mercurial, mythic image. And something about the pace too, like the pace of, of the mind. And so the archetype of Mercury really is centered around the mind, the intellect, thinking, speaking, writing, learning, education, institutions of education, all the ways that we find to communicate, to transmit information, to understand. It's the, the principle of the logos in some ways. And that the, the chakra of the throat, the um, expressive ability, whether it's through any of our senses, hand gestures, um, my, my hand is moving all over the place as I'm describing Mercury, uh, hand gestures or how we see and are seen and how we hear and even in some ways the sensation of touch has a mercurial quality. Anything that communicates information in that way, I would see as part of Mercury's domain. How about you? Hmm. So when I think about Mercury, I have a natal conjunction that's exact of Mercury and Venus. So sometimes there's a way that I really romanticize and see Mercury through this very Venusian filter. Um, because I think of the way that language and creating symbolism becomes a portal to have other experiences. So as soon as someone says like dog, you will visualize and see a dog and all these kind of images or memories or feelings of that word come up. So I do think of Mercury as a kind of conjurer, like a magician, and that there's a way that we can cast spells essentially with the ways that we talk and think about things. And often in such a way that we don't even realize we're doing because Mercury is kind of uh, enacting those spells as soon as we've said them. So I think a lot of um, when it comes to, you know, having these statements that we make about reality, like, oh, this never happens, or I always this, and like having that thought, it's like we're actually kind of programming that into reality in some way. And I feel like that's a, a mercurial feature. And so having this capacity to mutate or kind of bifurcate the path where there's been this one way of looking at things. I feel like Mercury is always generating novelty. Like how about this other way of looking at this situation? How about this other way of wording this and a whole different experience opens up? Um, so I think there's a lot of cleverness and mental agility and mental acrobatics that come with Mercury and that can be the most brilliant and exciting experience. And it can also be kind of like uh, this image from the tarot is coming to mind of certain swords cards where the characters in the deck just look so kind of bereft with their anxiety because their mind is just looping through all of their fears and what they don't want to be thinking about or what they don't want to happen. So there's this interesting neutrality that I sense with Mercury as well of like being tinted by what Mercury is in interaction with and that this is also the god that can go into the underworld and come back up. So I think that as um, practitioners of any kind, there would be a, 
a mercurial quality to being able to dive into your client's reality with them. And then when the session is over, return back to your own life. You may have memories, of course, of what happened, but you're not carrying those imprints with you throughout the rest of the day. You said casting spells, and I just can't help but point out that spells, spelling, the connection between language and spell casting, and that there is something in the spelling of, of a word or of a name, and that the magic is inherent within that. Our word grammar comes from glamour, which refers to like the glamour of fairyland. Um, it indicates a sense of enchantment. And so even that seemingly mundane word, grammar, is referring to something that is enchanted, does have an ability to, to cast a spell through its spelling which I think is, is just amazing how these mercurial words are so intimately woven into how magic is participated in. That's so cool. It feels like a lot of um, looking into the etymology of words reveals all these kind of esoteric and hidden meanings to nearly everything. I think etymology is one of my favorite veins to dive into. If I ever got another PhD, which I won't. <laughs> um, definitely not. But I would want it to be in philology, uh, which means the love of language. That's a great um, Mercury-Venus expression. For people who haven't caught our first podcast, what was your PhD in? My PhD was in philosophy and religion, and it was focused on Carl Jung's Red Book and parallels between that Red Book and the Red Book of Westmarch of J.R.R. Tolkien. And Tolkien's Red Book of Westmarch essentially is the Lord of the Rings plus the other stories that he wrote about Middle Earth. But there's these extraordinary parallels between the two. And That's such a cool thing to study. <laughs> I love... I not only loved it as a dissertation topic, but continue to love it and speaking about it. And it still feels like uh, an entryway into an infinite world of other things to learn about and, and study. So it's not done by any means. So when Mercury combines with other planets, um, maybe a little... A uh, backdrop for that as well of what does it mean for archetypes to interact with each other? Like, how do you synthesize them? It's almost like a dialogue in some ways between two or more uh, planetary archetypes, for example. But a dialogue is almost too simple of a way of describing it because you don't necessarily have, you know, this is the archetype of Mercury over here in conversation with, say, the archetype of Venus, love, beauty, art, romance, desire, and so forth, or any other archetype, it's also a synthesis and a blending. And of course, that depends to a certain degree on what the aspect is, what the, the angle is between them. But it's almost like it gives rise to a more complex archetype or a compound archetype, or I guess what we would call an archetypal complex which refers both to its actual complexity, that it has more possible expressions than a single planetary archetype on its own, but also 
complex referring to the idea of a psychological complex, a part of our psyche that is, in, well, informed by an archetype that's a facet of who we are that has multiple expressions, both within our individual life and yet is somehow rooted in a, a deep symbolism. So they combine in, in that way. And it's almost like adding the features of one planetary archetype to the features of another planetary archetype. And sometimes that'll be in a phrase that almost like con contains a word of each. And then sometimes that will come out in a single word that carries the expression of what both are when they're married in that way. I think when we get into some specific examples, that will make a little bit more sense in how we do that phrasing. Totally. Yeah. I sometimes like to think of it as combining colors as well mm -hmm. in terms of they create like a new shade together. Um, but there is, I guess, yeah, to that process of each planet acting on the other. And it's... Um, I don't just, it's so silly, but the phrase like peanut butter and jelly came to mind. Mm -hmm. And I just like have this mm -hmm. like weird abstract image of that in space. And mm -hmm. I don't understand. <laughs> That's so great though, because it's something most people can relate to, especially in the US where peanut butter is more popular <laughs> as I've discovered traveling. Um, but they're so distinctly different. Peanut butter is a very different thing than jam, but they combine and something new is born. <laughs> yeah, it's a distinct, like, American food, I guess. Yeah. And, I mean, that I'm actually kind of marveling at that example because for most people, especially growing up in this country, that flavor, that combined flavor is going to have all these memories associated with it. It's the same taste for everybody, but when we participate in it, we all experience it a bit differently. Maybe some people really love it. Some people are, don't really care. Maybe you really don't like it. But whatever that is, it's going to have this lineage of, of memories behind it. Anyway, I like I just, this metaphor. <laughs> every time that I've sat down with you to record, which has only been twice, but I feel like it took place in an alternate universe that was like a year or something. <laughs> it like opened something, but... Um, I get these very distinct images and it's so Jungian or like there's something happening there that happens when I'm in your field. So mm. I definitely live in a world of images and that made me want to ask you um, around that idea of combining colors, because the way that I internally perceive archetypes is really through images, but a lot of it's through color. It's like I'm seeing all, all the possible manifestations or many of the possible manifestations of a certain archetype, but it's shaded by the colors or color that I associate with it. And I wonder, do you see them in colors? The archetypes, like the planetary archetypes? Either in particular or more in a... A broad sense when you're in relation to any facet of astrology? Hmm. Sometimes like color schemes, mm -hmm. like there can be more of that like jewel tone mm. kind of 
or pastel or something where but not usually a single color unless it's related to chakras I feel Mm -hmm. connected to that yeah I've just always been curious about the relationship of color is so key to my own understanding of planetary archetypes which then kind of ripples out through seeing the signs and colors I don't quite get the same color imagery with with houses I get more of a relationship to to light to like the solar and lunar with with that but so much of it is through images and that kind of understanding cool well if any colors come up today about uh, these archetypes let us know I can give you colors for all of them if you want (laughs) (laughs) that's super cool um so yeah, let's try combining Mercury with some archetypes. Um, I guess we can start with the sun. We dare to go in order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, does that feel? Feels perfect. Okay. Well, the sun as radiant center, self, identity, and how Mercury is in relationship to that tends to bring those mercurial qualities we've been talking about, the mind, the intellect, the communicative capacity, speaking or writing, in some way into that sense of self, that sense of being, of identity or existing. And that the mental capacity or the spoken capacity can be really prominent for someone born with Sun Mercury. I'm curious what you think. I'm wondering about the experience by transit too of when Mercury is conjunct the Sun, because sometimes during those days where Mercury is very close to the Sun, I feel wired Mm. and a little bit overwhelmed is like what I track. Um, with Mercury conjunct the sun. And it feels like the information and the kind of multifaceted complexity that is Mercury is just so bright and taking up. So like my mind feels very like lit up and extra. It may be a moment in time where I'm less uh, caffeinated because I'm, well, Mercury's already conjunct the sun. Don't need that. Um But I wonder how it is different, though, for people who have that conjunction natally, because I don't see them as wired necessarily. Um, More that kind of glory or radiance of the sun combined with Mercury feels like what you said, someone's identity being very connected to their articulateness or um, their capacity to use language and not even just verbal language but things like dance and music I feel like are also languages but with mercury I think it's that complexity or that nuance um, that comes through and with the sun it's something that radiates out of them when they're expressing themselves that there's this um, shapeshifter or magical quality to the amount of colors and expressions they have to to use when they express an expressive individual is maybe a good way to to put it and what you're pointing toward and that it certainly doesn't always have to be the spoken or 
directly mental capacity, but that ability to communicate oneself, one's individual self through whatever medium it is. You brought up the transit of Mercury conjunct the sun. I'm experiencing that right now, actually, as we're talking about this and something that dawned on me before we began recording was that this conversation is in itself a perfect expression of that particular transit because it's focusing the solar light on on mercury itself so i think for me this podcast is actually carrying a lot of that transit's expression that's really cool mercury and sag is on your sun Mm -hmm. cool yes how about Mercury and the moon? Mercury and the moon, I find to be a really fascinating combination in many ways because with the moon as the the emotions, the feelings, the body, our inner relationships, and Mercury again is... Uh, the mind, there seems to be this link between somatic and mental. And self-disclosure again, I have uh, the moon square Mercury in my natal chart. And I often feel a little bit confused when people bring up, you know, get out of your head and be in your body or stop thinking and focus on feeling uh, this kind of anti- uh, cognicentric perspective. And I don't quite understand. I mean, I do un- understand, but from my own experience, they feel intimately linked. That my feeling capacity is very much connected to the ability to put it into language. And in some ways, it can go the other way too, that sometimes I can skip over feeling certain feelings because I've already thought about them. So I figure I've felt them because I've, I've thought it through, but I, with actually a comparison with sun mercury and moon mercury, I feel like sun mercury radiates out the, uh, written or spoken communication. Whereas moon mercury kind of brings it back inward. So it's the difference maybe of writing publicly versus journaling for yourself or communicating on a stage versus in a letter or over text message uh, or a more internal form of communication. I think for moon mercury people, there can often be a lot of time spent on relational communication, talking about feelings, talking about relationship dynamics. I love that. I I see moon mercury sometimes as having like a transcript of their interior world. And so if you ask a moon mercury person, like, what are you thinking? They can readily answer oftentimes and they're less likely to be like, I, I don't know, like if you interrupt them in the middle of a reverie. And I also see the moon as this quality that embraces and like builds a circular um, nesting around things. Like it's a very kind of like swaddling, like 
energy, the moon, um, and Mercury being communication, I think that sometimes moon Mercury can come across as very kind of emotionally coherent to speak in words that one knows are comforting or soothing. Um, I also have moon Mercury. And I remember that when I was learning how to write poetry and like studying poetics in undergrad, that I would say out loud a poem that I was writing over and over again and smooth out anything that felt like it wasn't quite right or not in the right place. And it was just a very kind of lunar way of writing that I discovered from that um, style of writing poetry specifically. Well, one thing that also comes to mind and knowing that we both have moon mercury and we both hold roles as teachers. Now, mercury in general relates to teaching. So that's not one particular aspect, but I feel like for moon mercury people, teaching can be a very intuitive experience. And I know for myself, one of the most important things about teaching is as I am communicating information or facilitating a place of knowledge, I have to feel what everybody in the room is feeling and try and adjust to that. So I'm generally very tapped into my lunar function when in a mercurial role as teacher. Those feel very importantly and intimately linked for me. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I feel that with teaching as well. Like I like to feel the room, but also invite people to participate and like ask, you know, like I love classes where you start with some kind of check-in and I love being in those kind of classes too, where there's like a circle and everyone shares what's up for them at that moment. Like it just creates such a coherent field basically. Um, but I feel that even too with like something I learned early on when relaying information in an astrology reading is to check in with the person and ask them how they feel about what I've just shared. And it helps me stay in the flow of information. And I can't imagine not doing that or not tuning into it because it, it literally just feels jarring to not do that for me. I completely agree. Really knowing how people feel in response to information or knowledge is essential and I think very much connected to the moon mercury experience. They have an interesting uh, similarity as well I feel like with ego where um, ego being a kind of membrane where certain things come in and certain things don't um, the way that we self-identify and the moon relating to our imprinting and that membrane and mercury being our kind of mental constructs and schema and how moon relates to memory as well and mercury can be the recording in words and images of what we remember i think i wonder if having a moon mercury connection can also help with memory recall because it's like mercury is so connected to data and moon memory that I think Mercury works to make things intelligible. So Mercury can be translating the moon and translating the lunar, which even though it's uh, so intrinsic and so innate, the moon, it's not always put into language on its own. I think Mercury does that. Helps facilitate that. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. 
And what about Moon Venus? Or Mercury Venus. <laughs> Mercury Venus. Um, Mercury Venus, I feel like, have this... It's almost like a sibling rela- relationship or a... You know, it's the mind and the heart. It's Eros and Logos. There's both a polarity between them and yet an extraordinary harmony and confluence. There is little I can think of in relation to Mercury and Venus that feels terribly shadowy to me because I have one. <laughs> yeah. I mean I can I can certainly think of some, but I'm very curious to hear yours. Should I? Sure. I think that Venus at um in certain ways can be about being um harmonious and being people pleasing is one of the mm-hmm. the phrases for it. And Mercury is so acrobatic and so clever that I think Mercury Venus when paired up can be incredible at shape-shifting to people please and uh, just even in my own process with having that aspect I became aware of that happening and was like I'm doing so much internal acrobatics to situate myself in just the right way in a situation and I don't want to do that anymore that's exhausting and realizing that if I have that capacity to be shapeshifty, Mercury about Venusian things, that's like a great skill and I can use it in a way that is, um, or engage it in a way that's more conscious, I guess, but realizing that there was this unconscious uh, labor of kind of being an acrobat in all these different ways. It's a very good point around the the potential shadow of Mercury Venus because Venus can make our communications beautiful and there's it, it can both be like the love letter or the love poem or the sweet communication of love very easily saying I love you for example I uh, my godson who's three has sun mercury venus and so easily the phrase i love you or you're sweet comes to his uh comes through him and it's just it seems like that is very accessible for the mercury venus person to speak the words i love you and but it can also have that like the honeyed tongue or the silver tongue that can persuade it's the diplomat in a positive sense of keeping harmonious relations through conversation and negotiation and yet it's also the diplomat in terms of let's smooth this over and not really pretend that who was hurt was hurt or something like that and speaking to to what you're talking about privileging that sense of harmony and social balance over maybe one's deeper truth or the expression of one's feelings or one's wounds, but rather saying, let's just keep it nice and keep the conversation at more of a, do you have something to say? (laughs) I was hoping she'd join us. (laughs) 
If that came through, that was Esme meowing. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. just to kind of pick up on that, um, after I became aware that I was doing that and I correlated it to being a Mercury Venus thing, um, I started to experiment with saying things that I consider more uncomfortable and just like being more honest in relationship, um, saying how I feel, even if I think it's going to cause disruption and, you know, all of that stuff. And the flip side of it is that I've, from meditating on this aspect, I realized that just having those conversation actually, conversations will actually deepen intimacy. And it kind of, um, I realized that it's like having conversations with mercurial people or people who will engage that where if I change my mind like 10,000 times in a day because I have a bunch of mercury stuff going on and someone wants to like play with that energy, like that sounds fun to me. The amount of energy that it takes to bottle it up and just be uh, the same all of the time and not say anything out of the kind of box that one can create of themselves like I just that's too much I completely agree hmm. like and did that make sense yeah, it, does, <laughs> it definitely makes sense it definitely makes sense that's what a yeah the mercury venus I feel like it's just a a way of relating that is itself mercurial so I think of like people that are riffing a lot or being silly or being weird or just like there's a um room for flux and novelty within connection yeah definitely i feel like with mercury venus too venus affects the quality of the voice so it can be a beautiful voice whether it's a beautiful speaking voice or Often you see a beautiful singing voice can be correlated with, with Mercury, Venus and, or writers who are born with Mercury, Venus, who use language in really poetic and artistic ways. I think that's another possible expression of, of the combination. Totally. Relational communication as well for similar to mercury moon just speaking to different kinds of relationships in some ways with the moon it may be more the at the family level or the really intimate community or a home sphere with venus perhaps more in romantic relationship or friendships like where the heart is really involved and obviously there's major overlap there too and um, for example when one lives with one's romantic partner there you're going to be talking about both sides of the relational dynamic both the lunar and the venusian and so it's not so easily parsed necessarily so there's there's a big overlap there in the concrete manifestation at least that makes sense so what about Mercury Mars? It seems a bit easier to pinpoint that potential shadow side <laughs> instead of the more diplomatic, beautiful expression of language that we see with Mercury Venus. Mercury Mars is like using 
language and communication as a means of assertion. And so I think of like the debater or someone who can really hold their own in an argument where the the tongue can be like a sword or the pen can be a sword and it can cut or cut through. Mars gives fuel and fire and vitality and at times anger to to one's communication and one's expression. I feel like Mercury, Mars is like one is writing in fire or something like that. Yeah, it feels like um, I was thinking of like litigation as well, um, where Mercury is being accessed for some kind of cause or objective or goal. And definitely, too, I've noticed um, even just when Mercury and Mars are in dynamic aspect by transit, that it feels that people are talking over each other more, that there's like vying to speak, Mm -hmm. um, that there's more impulsiveness or this instinctual need to express with Mercury Mars. Um, And there can be very kind of like emphatic communication with Mercury Mars. Asserting one's point in a really clear and direct way, and which is really important. It's really a necessary piece around communication. And we just sometimes have to be careful when we, we cut or burn with our, with our words or with our expressions. There's this quality too of like asking questions in a way that can be aggressive with Mercury Mars. Um, there's someone that has that and I had felt that the way that they ask questions always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And when I connected it to a Mercury Mars thing, my like the situation eased up and I was like, maybe that's just how they communicate and I can stop taking it personally, which it's good to not take things personally in general, but connecting it to a Mercury Mars signature helped me realize that the just the way that the questions, you know, and Mercury has this curious quality was being expressed, just felt so Martian. Um, and of course, I'm Mercury Venus, so I have a different way, <laughs> I suppose, of communicating. Um, hmm. What else? Just looking as well at how Mercury can be a gift or an aid to Mars in some ways, being able to speak to one's anger, for example. So we all feel anger at different times and maybe in different proportions, but there are a variety of ways to express anger and actually having the facility that Mercury Mars would provide could actually allow one to channel anger through words in a way that is simply descriptive and presencing something to be seen hmm. rather than as language that is directed to hurt or go at war with someone. And that's an example of what you were bringing up before where we can make a choice in terms of do we want to try and live into a more life-enhancing or noble expression of a particular complex or 
do we maybe not bring as much consciousness to it? And there's that potential within Mercury Mars to actually be a healthier channel for Mars to come through than say, uh, expressing one's anger physically or violently rather it's let's put this into words to diffuse the situation i think about the practice that actually uh, barack obama talked about doing this where when feeling anger he would write a letter about what he was feeling and then throw out the letter and i think that's a really helpful practice where you can put martian experiences or feelings into mercurial words and it is received there and then it doesn't the letter doesn't have to be sent the person who has upset you doesn't need to receive that anger in the way you're initially feeling it right it's like it's getting processed mercury seems to help a lot with that kind of like metabolism or taking elements of something and helping like shift it Um, and it is a really helpful practice. I think too, just even being able to see a transcript of one's own feelings in this case, anger, um, we may look back at that and be like, wow, and feel very connected to it still. But sometimes we might realize that there is a whole soup of other stuff in there as well. And it helps to like parse out and, um, make more intelligible these uh, and anger is such a visceral feeling as well. It is. It can be so all-consuming and really kind of physical, somatic. And to be able to link that up with your words, your mind, your ability to express is an amazing transmutation. Even that word transmutation, it comes out of alchemy out of a hermetic practice and that mercury in some ways has that ability of bringing about the transmutation of whatever it touches because it's brought into new expression new form and every time we speak something it's new in that way even if we've said it many many times true i love just in illustrating mercury mars Um, I'm feeling how much like multivalence there is in these archetypal expressions and how, you know, even if there is, like we pointed out some of the more difficult or unconscious ones, that that's not actually the whole. Every time we're looking at the particular manifestations, there's always a bigger vision behind it and within that room to move. It's like we're talking our way around something that can never be fully expressed and ever should be fully expressed because to express it, to give it words is bringing it in, invoking or evoking really the archetype. And there are an infinity of ways that we can do that. So it really is kind of like dancing around a core that we can never quite touch totally how about mercury jupiter well jupiter brings expansion elevation it magnifies it makes bigger 
longer, larger, more grandiose, whatever it touches. And Mercury with Jupiter can be the storyteller, the orator, the person who has a lot to say. (laughs) The long sentences and the abundance of words, large words as well, big ideas or grand ideas that hold some kind of magnanimous quality to them. I like that. And um, if we look at the signs that they rule, um, and we'll take Sagittarius for Jupiter, though in traditional astrology, you'd say Pisces as well, but um, Jupiter ruling Sagittarius and then Mercury ruling Gemini, and those are two opposite signs in the natural zodiac. And often Gemini can be associated with more of the the left brain, where kind of our data consciousness or how we organize information um, or something more local, even Gemini can relate to short trips. Whereas when we go to Sagittarius, we're looking at bigger expanses, travel, but we're also looking at the right brain or just knowing things, having these intuitive forms of knowledge that we're not necessarily tracking all the details. And so Mercury, Jupiter, by combining those, it's combining the faculty of language and say even like rhetoric, I think of as a very mercurial thing with the bigger picture or the cosmology or the big vision. Um, and put together, it almost has this air of like um, a charismatic politician or someone who can has a, a bigger picture idea. It could also be like a, a spiritual speaker, orator, Um, and the way that they're able to dance that into language is highly particular and articulate, even though they're coming from such a vast place. And so the speech, right, or like these long forms of communication to get across a very big message. I find it interesting that there is this link between Mercury and Jupiter not only in terms of the Gemini Sagittarius opposition, but speaking of rulerships, traditional rulerships, the Virgo Pisces opposition. And oh, that's true. So they they create a, a quadrature with each other. And that I've really been noticing that in this Sagittarius lunation that you know, we just went through the Gemini full moon and then the quarter moon will be the moon in Virgo square to the sun in Sagittarius. And the so that relationship of Mercury to Jupiter coming through in those sign placements, they're not necessarily always in harmony with each other. It, they're the same modality but they can be a bit at odds the those those squares that are set up and yet there's clearly a a linkage there between them there's an inherent relationship in those those sign dynamics sometimes i think about what jupiter is doing like physically in the solar system in terms of 
there being all these like stray objects in the solar system and Jupiter absorbs them into its gravitational field. And I think that Jupiter can do that whenever, you know, we have a very particular philosophy. And if we want to incorporate anything into that, we can just like Jupiter is taking in all these stray objects. And so like, if we're thinking that everything is about love, ultimately we can interpret with our mind everything to hold into that, but also maybe something that's less expansive even, but we've chosen to make it our bigger picture. Um, And I think that within that information can get quite skewed or it's like having an angle, you know, but making that angle everything. That's a really good point. It has this all-encompassing quality, Jupiter does, where it can just continue to grow and expand and bring this into the fold and bring that into the fold. Not in the way that, say, Neptune does, where there's a, a unity, a oneness. This is more of a encompassing largeness that in some ways seems like it will just keep expanding until it runs into Saturn, (laughs) which I always, I love that placement of Saturn between Jupiter and Uranus because it's really kind of keeping both of them in check in some ways, the ever expanding qualities of Jupiter or the ever rebellious qualities of Uranus and Saturn's between them just holding holding the boundary. (laughs) Well, let's move into Mercury and Saturn then. I feel like this one is, we may have a lot to say about it. Um, Because Saturn with Mercury really is about communicating carefully and precisely and concisely and with precision it's the it's the editor who revises again and again and again looking for mistakes and how to whittle the expression of something down to its most clearly understood form which may come from experiences of being misunderstood because Saturn negates, and so it can negate the mercurial understanding or expression and therefore hone the capacity to be ever and ever clearer from past mistakes of not being heard, not being understood, or feeling silenced. There's a relationship between Mercury and Saturn and silence, both in terms of appreciating silence, withholding the voice, withholding expression, but also being silenced and not having a voice maybe when one really needs to have a voice. I love that um, articulation of this. I feel that, you know, with writing, like the writing process, often what we see in established print, you know, what has made it into a, a social form, um, you know, that there's been standards and all of that for it to even arrive at this place. 
it's gone through so many edits. Uh, there's all this kind of labor that has gone into it. And when a person is a writer, a person is doing the Mercury Saturn part, there's such care and such caution about speaking because there can be an awareness too of how things can get misinterpreted, like you said. And so having all this awareness of how to troubleshoot things. Um, I think even the phrase like writer's block sounds like a Saturn Mercury thing. Um, though I have so much judgment of that phrase, actually, writer's block, because I, I really find it strange when we use language to fold in on itself as a way to negate language. Like, <laughs> Which is a very Mercury Saturn kind of experience. <laughs> yeah, it's like when people... Like, I get personally really annoyed when people say, like, oh, words could never explain. Like, it's different when you're speaking about the numinous or the ineffable in a very true way. But when it's just that someone's lazy and they haven't taken the time to express something or, you know, that's such a judgmental thing to say, like getting into it with Mercury Saturn. Mm -hmm. um, but and taking the time to yeah. just these qualities of Saturn that you're bringing forward of. Um, time, judgment, criticism, not meeting a certain standard. It's, so Saturn is here. Yeah. <laughs> part of the conversation. <laughs> totally. And I think what I mean by that too, is that it's like the actual phrase words could never explain is using words to explain something. So I'm just like, why didn't you, you know, put the words in a different order and say what you meant to say, which is like such a ridiculous, like, Thing. I love though the very similar phrase words could never capture like words could never capture how I feel about this person because it it's pointing toward something that you're trying to do with language and and yet it inevitably falls short mm -hmm. and isn't in that some way the Saturnian incarnated experience of you know we aim for maybe perfection and yet always falling short the the mistake that you discover at you know the last minute or when it's too late um that inevitably undermines the perfection of say a project that you thought had reached its highest possible expression and Saturn can just be there to like to remind you to stay humble, like aim for that. And yet it always mm. pulls back down a notch. I feel like maybe Mercury Jupiter wouldn't have that same kind of worry. It's about the long, languorous, indulgent expression of words and it doesn't matter that words can never capture it. I'm just going to say all the words until maybe we've covered <laughs> a, a wide swath of what could be said on this topic. But there's almost a mourning in saying words can't capture what I want you to hear mm. from me. And that's that Saturnian feeling of loss, too, in the very attempt. Wow, you just made that phrase a lot more beautiful to me. And I've judged that phrase for like my whole life. So it's one that <laughs> I have used a lot in terms of really trying to express love and feeling, especially. 
And maybe that comes for me too, as a, as a Venus Saturn person who feels that kind of sense of inability to fully express love. There's limits on what can be expressed of that. So I really associate that particular phrase with, with a sense of love, or as you brought up, like a sense of the numinous, the sacred, the divine, but attempting to move toward it. Mm. I'm glad we've redeemed that phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Like I, I don't like to have judgment in general, in some sense, like you can get very, um, uh, meta about it of like judging judgment and it's a silly rabbit hole for sure. Yeah. I have noticed that, um, when people are speaking who have Mercury, Saturn, an aspect that you can hear them choosing carefully their words rather than just kind of saying things until what they mean comes out. Like they're, they're often thinking in time and you can hear the breaks often in the words choose your words wisely. Yeah. It's a good Saturn phrase. And just to echo back to what you said too, about aiming for something, but then settling as well. I noticed that with like Mercury has so much to do with craft, I think. And even from the Virgo side of Mercury perfectionism. And I've noticed that you know, people who are doing great work and you see the finished product and it's amazing and you're in awe. If you talk to them about their process, they have a thousand complaints with it. And so there's always kind of that voice and um, with Saturn, that um, inhibition quality of like, oh, this isn't, you know, this according to this standard, but often because of that level of care that is being taken in advance, the final product, whatever it is, often expresses a lot of craft within it, even if that person has their own kind of complaints about how it could be better. Can be an eye for the negative where one perceives the flaws and the mistakes and is really kind of focused on that in in their thought. I mean, I think that is why it is a great editor's aspect because of the ability to pick out that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that needs to be fixed. But that's also a hard place to inhabit all the time because then you miss the things that maybe the Mercury-Jupiter, going back to that again, can take in, taking in the breath and the whole of it and celebrating it. And, you know, as we're speaking about this, while everyone has different natal aspects with their mercury we're touching on them we all experience all of these as transits at different times for different lengths of time depending on the transit and so if say we are a mercury jupiter person when we get a transit from saturn to mercury that really offers an opportunity to to hone and edit and revise that Mercury-Jupiter way of of thinking or expressing. Likewise, if one is Mercury-Saturn and really focused in meticulously on the details and we get a transit of Jupiter to our Mercury, there can be this kind of a relaxation and an ability to see the the big picture, the broader whole, and um, to bring some sense of celebration to that and 
So we need all of them. And in different ways, we do get to experience all of them. Totally. Yeah. There's something, um, too, I just love how you um, go back and forth there between Jupiter and Saturn and how they're both like working with Mercury. I think of even the part of the writing process where you just get all your ideas out and are less inhibited and then you go back and edit. Um, I'm also thinking about problem solving as a very Mercury-Saturn thing and the ability and the willingness even to examine problems because one could not, you know, like especially like when we think about um, overwhelming kind of crisis situations in the world, you know, you could just tune out of that data stream, but there's also people that are tuning into that quite heavily and like thinking about, you know, racking their minds of what could solve these like massive problems. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mercury Saturn, I feel like has that kind of like slow led energy of like contemplating something difficult Thinking something through to the end really fits Mercury-Saturn too. So thinking out the problem all the way to the end to reach the solution or being able to look at what are the concrete, realistic, practical steps and thinking each one of those through and kind of piecing it all together in this carefully measured and meticulous way right you were right that we would talk about mercury saturn for a while (laughs) does that just happen like i feel like whenever i talk about saturn it's gonna go on for a bit it hangs on gets longer and longer (laughs) (laughs) i think too about it can be (laughs) brief interruption by cat (laughs) scratching wood is that not nails on a chalkboard (laughs) (laughs) oh that is an awful sound (laughs) it's a good nails on the chalkboard is a good sound you have the classroom the chalkboard and that is just screech is kind of cutting through your brain like a maybe it's like mercury mars saturn (laughs) it's funny because it's like i love saturn so much but inevitably when i describe the qualities of saturn sometimes it feels like i'm throwing a little bit of shade but it's like my friend i love saturn but yeah that's saturn's nature for sure you know, another thing with Mercury Saturn, while we're dwelling at great length and time on Mercury <laughs> Saturn, it can be the working with and the appreciation of old languages or dead languages. And so that orientation toward the past that Saturn can bring. We were speaking about etymology earlier. So going into a word's history, seeing what its lineage is, what its roots are, and also languages that have died how interesting that we even use that phrase a dead language speaking about latin or gothic or something like that that these so-called dead languages if you go back into them you realize they're they're almost like fossils that they are encapsulating within 
the words that we still have a culture and a mythology and you can inhabit that world again by going back into the language and Hmm. someone like J.R.R. Tolkien who's born with a Mercury Saturn square it's exact in his chart was an expert at that of going back into and even reviving dead languages inventing new words within old languages as a way to recover the lost cultures and mythologies that are inherently embedded in the language and it's a practice like that that really shows us that words are not simply labels they're not arbitrary but that words carry within them the true name or meaning of what they evoke of what they are calling forward and to loop back to before when we were talking about a spell spell casting the grammar of the word that there is a magic in in the word itself whether or not that word has been spoken for centuries we can learn so much about it just in the way we can with studying a fossil words are like fossils that their outer edges continue for living languages continue to evolve and yet they have encapsulated within them this whole extraordinary history that we can unpack if we choose to but we also we don't have to we can simply pass them by and that somehow speaks to with with Saturn, it's like this humble, quiet, there's almost like a dullness to Saturn. It's like it's just a word. But if you if you polish it, if you dive into it, then it'll unfold these deep forgotten treasures that you had no idea were there when you just spoke the word as it as we mean it now. That may be like the most beautiful thing I've heard about Mercury Saturn mm. ever. Super mystical. <laughs> like time travel, but yeah, something very old and magical coming to the surface. Mm. Um, in the interest of not lingering on Saturn forever, <laughs> let's uh, go to Mercury Uranus. Stay tuned for part two, where we will get into Mercury-Uranus, Mercury-Neptune, and Mercury-Pluto. You can find links to Becca's work in the show notes, as well as the forecasts at Monarch Astrology and the upcoming January 2020 intensive, all in the show notes. Have a beautiful week, and I will catch you next time.